Welcome to Parkview. Glad to have you here. Uh, I want to just give a shout out to the band. That was awesome. You know what? And uh, they, they had to do Switchfoot at what was really 8 o'clock in the morning this morning. What? Oh, yeah, that's funny. Hilarious. Um, they had to do Switchfoot at what was really 8 o'clock this morning, and they did a great job. So welcome. We're glad to have you here. Thank you for being with us. I'm Dr. Whatever, and um, glad to have you here. Uh, let's talk about American Idols for a little bit. Um, how many of you are fans of the show? Okay, I just want to know, okay? I am. Uh, you know, I think the inventor of TiVo ought to get like a Nobel Peace Prize, don't you? I mean, that guy was awesome, whoever figured that out. Because I, I got a couple of shows that I enjoy, and American Idol is one that my family and I really enjoy. For whatever reason, maybe it's just sick, but I love to watch people that think they can sing that are terrible on national television. That's just, that just cracks me up. And, and I also like the stories of the people that, that can sing that are doing something completely different. I'm going to give you the prediction, okay? I'm going to give you the prediction. Big Mike is winning this year, right? Am I right? I think Big Mike is winning because, A, he's as big as a truck. I mean, this guy was a personal trainer. He could probably lift 1,000 pounds. He's unbelievably big. But he, he, he's, he had a baby while he was on the show. You know, his wife had a baby while he's on the show. He's got the whole story, and he can sing. This guy was a personal trainer, and he's an incredible singer. I love those stories. But isn't it a little weird that we've become comfortable with the term idol? I mean, we have a, we have a show about American Idol. You know, I mean, we, we know deep down inside that an idol is something that's probably not a good idea, right? And we understand uh, the definition of an idol is an object worshipped as a god. That's the dictionary definition. And the Bible's full of pro the prohibition and the danger of having idols. I mean, first, uh, the, the first commandment in the very beginning, and God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in any form or in anything in heaven and above the earth or beneath, earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. It's just weird to me that we become comfortable using the term idol. I mean, we don't really usually call them that. Uh, we don't usually make our idols into statues, you know, like they used to, unless they were the best basketball player ever in front of the United Center. But we do love our idols. The, the more simple definition of an idol is anything we place above God. And we do it every day. Maybe not intentionally, but we do worship. The magazine racks are full of pictures of people that we idolize, right? And, and other people worship other things more than people. Everybody's got their own priority list, right? But everybody's got idols. Everybody's got a priority list, and they line up differently for everybody. What is your idol? That's going to be my question for the next four weeks. Uh, we're going to do this week, next two weeks, and then Easter is going to all go together. Uh, don't worry. Easter will stand alone if you're bringing visitors or friends or whatever. Um, make sure you do that. But for those of you who are able to be here the three weeks leading up to it, I think it's really going to help the whole thing come together for you. What is your idol? And I've lumped everything under the big titles of money, sex, and power. I mean, those are the big three. Most everything in your life kind of falls underneath that. And if you can't figure it out, I'm going to help you. That's my job, okay? Here's our theme verse. It comes from John. Apostle John said this, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. We are in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true and eternal God. And then he says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. What he's saying is, there's a true and there's a false. Jesus is true and everything else is false. It's just that simple. 
okay? And, and it's not that there's something inherently wrong with Jennifer Aniston or Heineken or Michael Jordan or a contestant on a TV show, all right? That, that's not what I'm talking about. But there is truth. There is truth. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And anytime you try to fill up your life with something that's not truth, your life becomes false. C.S. Lewis said it like this. God made us. He invented us like a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. There is no other. That is why it is no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering with our relationship with him. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. You can't fill up your life with something else or it's going to be false. You see what I'm saying? How about office fans out there? Any office fans? You like the office? I love the office probably because we all know people that are like that, right? Bill Brown is like Dwight, you know. Lonnie's like Kevin. I mean, if you think about it, I'm not going to tell you who Oscar is. I, I'm, I'm not Michael. I know what you're thinking. I never say dumb things. I don't know what you're talking about. Last week on the baby episode, if you didn't see it, and I don't know if you even caught it, Michael said... I filled up my car with diesel to save some money. That's just the kind of guy he is. Jim said, you should have done that. It was no problem, Michael said. You know, that, that was a little, just a little thing they slid, slid in there. But as I was watching that and I was remembering this C.S. Lewis quote, I was realizing that what we do a lot in our lives is we fill up our tanks with the wrong thing. And I don't know if you know anything about engines or not, but if your car was not designed to burn diesel, it's not a good idea to put diesel in there. I don't know if you know anything about the human soul or not, but if your human soul was not designed to burn money, sex, or power, then it's not good to put money, sex, or power or anything else in there. It's designed to burn on God. Now, I know that when we, when we hear about idols in the Bible, we're thinking, well, God's just up in heaven. He's like, don't worship anybody else because I want you to worship me. You know, like he's some kind of crazed, you know, theological being that's up in the heavens that's going to be, and it even says he's a jealous God in that, in that Ten Commandments. He said, I'm a jealous God. And that definition for us is weird. It's like he's jealous of other gods. He's jealous for us in a way that he doesn't want us following after the things that are going to harm us. He's jealous for us in the same way that a father of little kids is jealous of them not going after strangers, not going out into the street, not doing the things that harms them. I'm jealous as a father for my kids to do the things that I know they ought to do because I know what they ought to be doing. God does not get his feelings hurt when you worship an American idol. He's not up in heaven going, oh, man. What he's doing is he's up in heaven saying, I'm truth. I am the gasoline. I designed you to run on gasoline. And if you don't run on gasoline, it's not going to work. And if you try to fill up with something else along the way, it's going to be trouble. So we start with sex, intimacy, love. We'll lump it all in together. I want to assure you that I believe God made sex and it is good. Okay, I totally agree with the theologian George Michael. Sex is wonderful, sex is fun, sex is best when it's one-on-one. -on -one. I think the church has done a horrible job of making people think that God doesn't like it. He made it, it was good. Somebody gave my wife pajamas for Christmas. A friend of hers. They are flannel. They cover every square inch of her body. 
I'm thinking, hey, if I wanted to sleep with a lumberjack, I would have married one. <laughs> Thanks, Jeanette, wherever you are. <laughs> Sex is wonderful. Sex is fun in marriage. I think it's a little part of heaven on earth. I'm going to talk about this after Easter. We're going to have a series on marriage, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. This is a wonderful thing, and I also want to talk to you. If, you, if you're engaging in it outside of marriage, it's harmful and it's sinful because sex was meant to be the glue that holds us together in marriage, and it is absolutely fantastic, but it can become an idol inside our marriage or outside of our marriage. It all starts like this. It all starts in puberty, right? Which is really unfortunate for us in these day and age because puberty is getting younger and younger and we're getting married older and older. So there's this bigger gap in between the time we start to have these feelings and the time we're supposed to do anything about them. And so somewhere along the line, we start to realize that we don't like Xbox and Barbies as much anymore. Now we're all of a sudden interested in the opposite sex. And we get to the junior high dance, right? All the boys on one wall, all the girls on the other wall. And we hope that somebody will take the stride across the other side and break the ice so that we can get this party started, right? I, I, said that, I said that last night and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Tim, it's not like that anymore. They just text each other on the other side. <laughs> That's hilarious, isn't it? Because then if they reject you, you're just like, oh, well, just stay right here. No problem. You're, you're hoping that, that somebody breaks the ice and that you look across the other side and they, they text you back and say, yes, I'll dance with you or will you dance with me? And you start this, this dance, right? And the dance goes on for all of your life. And some of you have been doing this dance your entire life, trying to find the person that's going to come and fill your tank. And some go from partner to partner to partner to try to find that person that is going to help fill up their tank. And so it begins. It's a quest. It starts early. And it is so dumb. I mean, I wasted a lot of my life, a lot of my youth looking for the one. I don't know, maybe you did too. I was always looking for the one that was going to fill up my tank. Thankfully, all my exes live in Texas, so you don't know any of them. But <laughs> if I could get them all in a room, I would say to all the girls I've loved before <laughs> who've traveled in and out my door, I. I I'm glad you came along, but I'm really sorry that I thought you could fill up my tank. And I'm really sorry that you thought I could fill up your tank, because that's ridiculous. It's never going to happen. Nancy Ortberg said, Our search for the perfect person is completely understandable, because we are made in the image of a perfect God. That's why we're looking for perfection around us. We were made in His image. We want to be perfect, and we want the persons around us to be perfect. But it is completely misguided because we are broken. I love the lyrics of that Switchfoot song. Everyone's been scared to death of dying here alone. What have we become? Where is my soul? It's numb because I keep looking for the wrong person, the wrong thing to fill up my tank. I'm looking for diesel. Now, I don't want to take this too far. I don't want you to get the idea that maybe that, that we're not supposed to have people. God looked down at man and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is good for us to have people in our life. But why do we have people in our life? So that they can fill up our tank? No, we have people in our life so that they can help point us to the one who can really fill up our tank. In your bulletin, you've got a group life park view uh, bulletin in here, get connected thing. Pull this out. I want you to look at it. If you're not in a group, I love my group. It's on Tuesday nights in my neighborhood. We get together. We study the, the stuff that's gone on in the sermon. It's very simple. And we fellowship together and we eat because that's what you always do in a group. And we point each other to God. That's what you're supposed to do. If you're not in a group, you need to be in a group. You need to be connected. 
You need to be connected with a, a group of people around you that can help point you in the right way. And we're going to have a couple of dates here coming up in a couple of weeks where you can just get in a, in a large pile and we can just kind of pull everybody together and help you get involved in a small group. But if you're getting a group, it's not so that they can fill up your tank. Community is not so that they can fill up your tank. Marriage is not so that that person can fill up your tank. It's so that we can all work together to help fill up the tank from the one who can only fill it up. I want to take you through an Old Testament story today. I got this uh, idea for this series and a lot of this information from a book called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. I want to give props where it's supposed to go. Tim Keller, Counterfeit Gods, great book if you want to read more on this. The background of this is, is Jacob and, and Leah and Rachel, okay? I know not all of you remember this, but, um, but, but here's the whole deal. Maybe you don't know it. You hear the patriarchs, right? You got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You've heard those maybe terms before. Abraham's the guy that God says, I'm going to build a nation over, uh, after you, okay? Abraham has Isaac. And Isaac is the one that he almost sacrifices on the, on the altar. God says, no, nah, I'm just, just testing you. I want to figure out what's going on with you. Isaac has twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau's the older one. Esau's the one that Jacob loves the most because they have a connection together. But Jacob is the one through whom the blessing is going to flow because Jacob literally rips it off his brother. He steals the, the blessing, the birthright from his brother. So when he does that, his brother's not happy. And his brother wants to kill him. So Jacob has to leave. He has to go to another country. He has to go to another area. And he ends up in a place where he's far away from his family. He's run away from his brother. He stole the birthright. But he's got to start completely over in his family. Okay? And he has this big hole in his life. And while he is in this place where his tank is dry, he thinks he meets the one. And her name is Rachel. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Okay, let me explain this. Leah had weak eyes doesn't mean she had bad vision. Okay, uh, I got legally blind without my bifocal contacts. Okay, we all kind of get that part right, but nobody would know that from the outside. There is something in the, in, the, in the contrast between her eyes and Rachel's beauty. I mean, basically what it says is Leah had weird eyes and Rachel was hot. That's the translation of this, okay? Okay, so what that means is there was something going on with Leah's eyes that made her unattractive, all right? That's basically what this is, what's going on. So as soon as I say this, as soon as I bring up a comparison, I just really felt like what was probably going to happen with most of the girls, especially the young girls in the room, is that most of the girls were going to go, oh, there's that comparison thing again. Somebody's hot, somebody's not, and I'm always in the not category. Not very many girls in this room just broke into, don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me and Rachel? Am I right? Because deep down inside, and I know this, I, I've got daughters, okay? I have beautiful daughters because I married a beautiful woman. But you know what? I understand this whole self-esteem thing that you're going through. I understand that our society has put this weird, airbrushed, freaky thing going on that everybody thinks they have to be in this certain category. They have to look a certain way. They have to be a certain way. And so most of the girls in this room are thinking, oh, yeah, I'm Leah. You know what? You're not. You're Rachel. I wish, you could un I wish I could look every one of you young girls in the eye and say, you are beautiful. God loves you. You are beautiful. He made you the way you are. But Leah is actually the one who gets this today. Let me take you through it. Jacob was in love with Rachel. Okay, you know, the, the homecoming queen or whatever, okay? 
He said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Seven years. Laban basically says, well, whatever. I've got to give her to somebody. I'm mean, look at this. Better that I give her to you than some other man. <laughs> well, what the heck, buddy? All right. Stay here. Seven years doesn't sound bad. So Jacob served seven years to get, listen to this. He served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. I've joked about this dumb verse before, but I want to say it again. If you think that seven years is like a few days, you aren't in love. You are mentally incompetent. Your family needs to get power of attorney over your bank account. I've been married for 26 years. You know what it feels like? 26 years. My wife would say 56 years, okay? This is ridiculous. If you're sitting there thinking right now, oh, I wish somebody felt this way about me, you are the person who needs to hear this sermon today. Seven years later, we pick up the story. Seven years later, or just a few days to the emotionally retarded Jacob, Jacob, said, <laughs> Jacob says to Laban, listen to this. Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. What in the world? I mean, the Hebrew is just this graphic. Can you imagine saying to a father today, I can't wait to have sex with your daughter. Give her to me now. <laughs> Can I just say right now that if you brought that tone to, with me, I don't care if you worked for me for 700 years, you would never ever need to take that tone with anybody ever again if you know what I mean. Jacob is this guy, we, we see this guy who's overwhelmed with emotional and sexual longing for this one woman. Why? Well, I, I'm speculating, okay? Don't know this. But if you think about it, Jacob's life is empty. He, he, he never had his father's love. He's had to run away from his family so he doesn't have his mother's love anymore. His brother wants to kill him. He's in this land where he knows nobody. And he sees this woman and he thinks, if I could just have her everything would be okay. There should be an idle alarm going off over in the corner of this scene. Maybe you've said that. Probably we all have at some point. All the longings of his heart for meaning and affirmation, they're all fixed on a person. This is the stuff that movies are made of, right? You complete me in all that garbage. Pulitzer Prize winner, Ernest Becker, wrote about the relation to the fact that modern society has done away with God and how we live. Pulitzer Prize winner, very, very interesting article. It, what he said was, you, uh, you are a person who needs significance in your life. And if you've done away with God, you're going to naturally start filling up your life with other things. And he said one of the main ways that we fill up our life is with what he calls apocalyptic romance. We look to sex or romance or love to give us significance and purpose in our life. Now, some would say, well, you know, that's outdated, man. We're in the hookup culture now. We, people have sex whenever they feel like it, friends with benefits, yada, yada, yada. We got all that, right? And, you know, and the women have started to explore their sexuality a lot more. You know, you hear boom, 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 boom. I want you in my room, and I, 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 I can make your bed rock. I don't know if, you know, or, or, or if it's, uh, you know, country, what you say, we go picking wildflowers. We got all these things going on all around us, right? We get this. We got all this stuff going on around us, and we understand that, you know, hey, maybe sex is just this no big deal thing. Let's just go pick wildflowers. And, and at its core, though, we know that it's really something more than physical. 
at, the, at its core, every one of us, deep down inside, knows there is no such thing as friends with benefits. There's no such thing with a hookup. The more that we have a sex-saturated culture, the more we want. So what's wrong with that? What does that tell us? That should tell us that it must not be the right fuel, that it must not be filling up a need. Am I right? C.S. Lewis, back in the 40s, heard from many of his peers that, you know, man, if we just get to the point where people can have sex whenever they want and they're not worried about it with whoever they want to, then all of a sudden we will cease to be driven mad, they said. We will cease to be driven mad by our desire for sex. Lewis, in the 40s, doubted this. and He said, let me propose an experiment. Suppose you came to a country where you could fill a theater simply by bringing a covered plate to the stage and slowly lifting the cover so that everyone could see just before the lights went out that there was a lamb chop or a bit of bacon. Would you not think that in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? Obviously, he's making an allusion to the striptease acts that were going on in London in the 1940s and saying, if that's what's going on, there must be something wrong with our appetite. Could you imagine what the people in the 40s would think of the trillion-dollar porn industry that we have in our world today? Why does it keep growing? Why does it keep growing? Why does it keep growing? Because we keep trying to fuel up with it, and it never satisfies because it's diesel. Where is my soul? It's never going to work, but if you want to try it, I do recommend a drug for you. It's called Lustavin. Do you struggle with intimacy, loneliness, or heartache? Have you found yourself relationally challenged with the opposite sex? Are you ready to get lost in a world of self-centered idealism? Well, with Lustavin, the wait is finally over. Lustavin provides the immediate gratification you want. New breakthroughs can now enable you to temporarily drown your loneliness. With Lustavin, dysfunctional relationships never felt so good. Lustavin may result in mild headaches and upset stomach. In many cases, Lustavin has resulted in premature relational difficulty, undue emotional attachment, and in many cases, divorce. Some side effects may include shallow relationships, adultery, commitment problems, and premature pregnancy. Lustavin may result in a desire to be on reality TV shows such as Eliminate and Jerry Springer. Do not take Lustavin if you plan on living a biblical lifestyle. Do not take Lustavin if you plan on watching the movie Titanic or listening to Celine Dion or Britney Spears. Are you ready to live again? So it's time to get excited about living again. If you want God's perfect timing for your relationships, Lustavin is not for you. But if you are hopelessly desperate for attention in any form, Lustavin will change your life. So it's time to get serious about living again. See your pastor to find out if Lustavin is right for you. Are you ready to live again? That is good. Uh, it's kind of funny, and it's a lot true, isn't it? It's filling up your tank with the wrong thing. Here's where the story gets interesting. If you don't know this story, it really gets interesting. Rachel's father must not have liked Jacob's tone either because he still had another daughter to marry off, so he substituted Leah for Rachel on the wedding night. Okay? 
unbelievable. I mean, so many margaritas, they don't know what's going on. Jacob, it's dark, whatever. Jacob ends up sleeping with Leah. He wakes up in the morning, not the first or the last time somebody woke up with a surprise in their bed and said, whoa, what's going on? I, I, the, I, got, I, got, I got the wrong girl here. What's going on? But never fear, Jacob's love for Rachel was so strong, he said, well, no big deal. I'll keep Leah, but I still want Rachel because she's going to fill up my tank. I'll work seven more years for her. After all, it's only like a couple of days, right? And she completes me, and love is all you need, and you're nobody until somebody loves you, and blah, 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 blah. I think Jacob was so overcome with emotion for this girl that he really couldn't see Laban's deception. He really couldn't see. I mean, what, what's an, what a couple expressions that we use for people when they're deeply in love, right? We, call it, we say they're wrapped around my little finger. I got, she's got him wrapped around her little finger. Or he worships the ground that she walks on. We use those kinds of expressions. What is that? I mean, I mean that, that in a way is idolatry. And how do you think Leah felt? There's my question. Oh, great, my sister's moving in. I love her, you think? No, here's the problem. Genesis 29, 30. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. I mean, it's really not his fault. He didn't sign up for this. He fell in love with a girl, and he ended up with a sister of the girl and the girl. It's not his fault, but I have to wonder how Leah's going to react to this whole thing, don't you? When Leah's got this hole in her heart that's every bit as big as Jacob's got in his heart, and now she's married to a guy who doesn't want to give it to her. I know I'm hitting close to home for some of you. I'm trying to be gentle with this. But Leah was trying to fill up her hole with something. So she tries to fill up her hole. She tries to compete with Rachel to get the love of this husband. A big duh reason why polygamy never works, okay? She tries to compete with him. How does she do that? With children. Listen to this. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. Okay, even God is getting in on this. But Rachel was barren. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. I mean, that's desperate, isn't it? That's, that is hard. But he didn't. So she conceived again. She gave birth to a son and said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. And she named him Simeon. And again she conceived and gave birth to a son and said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And his name was Levi. Basically, she named her sons, I hope my husband loves me one, I hope my husband loves me the second, and I hope my husband loves me the third. Why? Because she was looking for her husband to fill up the hole that was in her heart. She was going to fill up her tank with the love that she couldn't find for her husband. Just like Jacob was trying to fill up his tank with Rachel. Jacob said, if I could just get Rachel, everything will be okay. And he goes to, the be to bed with the one he thinks is Rachel. And literally the Hebrew, I love this here, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Behold, it was Leah. Keller says, with all due respect to this woman, it means that no matter what we put our hopes in in the morning, it will always be Leah and never Rachel. No matter what, ladies, you put your hopes in, after the baby, after you do whatever, it's always still going to be Jacob. That person's never going to be the person that you hoped they were going to be. If you get married like Jacob or Leah did and you put all your expectations on this other person to fill up your tank, 
guess what? It's never going to work. I don't care if you married the greatest person in the world. You are going to think at some point that you went to bed with Rachel and you will get up and it will be Leah. That's because there is no person on earth who can fill up your tank. Nobody said it any better than C.S. Lewis again. In a different book, he said, most people, have, if they really look into their hearts, would know that what they do want and want acutely is something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things this world will try to offer to give you, but they never quite keep the promise. For example, the longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, he said, are longings which no marriage can satisfy. Let me talk to you for a minute, those of you who are married. Okay? Understand how this whole thing went. You know, this, this, is, this is what Disney and you know, fairy tales and the movies all do to us is we start this quest and we're looking for the one, right? Let, let me just explain to you something about the one, okay? If there was just a one for you, it just doesn't mathematically make sense, does it? Because the problem is, if there's, just, if, if there's just one right person for you, like the movies tell you, oh, if you just find the right person, you know, the serendipity thing, you just get that right person, guess what? If one person messes up and marries the wrong person, six billion people are all screwed up. It can't work that way. I mean, what if I married the wrong person? Then you've got to marry that wrong person, and they've got to marry the wrong person, and it just doesn't work, right? So we start on this quest, and we're on this quest for the one, and we finally find this person. And we think they're the one. And so we have this beautiful ceremony and everything is all wonderful and our hearts are all fluttery and birds are flying around and blah, blah, blah. And we get into the marriage and we get six months in or seven years in or whatever it is. And all of a sudden one morning we wake up and go, what a, wow, wow. You're not Rachel, you're Leah. You've got problems. And, and, and so then we're in this situation where we're like, okay, now what am I supposed to do? Let me tell you something. It won't be a problem if you realize that you can never find the one on this planet. It'll never be a problem if you figure out that the one is only up there and the person that you're with is the two. And I want to tell you how I know that Denise is my number two. Because she's my wife. That's why I know she's a number two. Because I made a commitment to her and she's my wife. If she would have married somebody else, I would have married somebody else, they would have been my number two. Okay? There's not a specific way this is all supposed to go. Get that junk out of your head. She's my number two because I chose her and she chose me and we made a commitment. And that's why I know this. And there will never be, and she knows she's my number two. She knows she's my number two. She knows she's never going to be God. And she's helping me find God and I'm helping her find God. And that's the way our relationship works. If you are sitting next to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse or your significant other, turn to them for just a minute and say, you're number two. I know that has alternative connotations, doesn't it? You just got that. I know. Good. Well, let me ask you something. All joking aside... Let me ask you, all joking aside, if somebody just turned and said that to you, did that not take a little pressure off? Could you imagine how much better your relationships would be if the other person realized that you were never going to be the one that was going to fill up the hole that was in your soul? If they, if they could understand that you could not, that you were diesel, and you're an imperfect human, and you could never be the person that's going to fill up their tank? Keller says that the thing is here, 
when you finally realize that this other person, what happens is we go, we go through the marriage and we think we got the one and we wake up and it's Leah, not Rachel, and we're confused. So then we've got a problem. Then we've got to figure out what we're supposed to do. Maybe you're in this situation today and you've woken up and you're with Leah instead of Rachel or you've woken up and your husband still doesn't love you after you've given him three sons and you've got to figure out what you're going to do. There are, there are four options according to Keller. The first one is I must have screwed up. I must have picked the wrong one. I'm going to go find the next number one. And some of you have gone from relationship, 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 looking for the number one. And guess what? You're never going to find it because there is no number one. He's up there. The second option is that you're going to turn to yourself and you're going to loathe yourself and you're going to blame yourself and you're going to say, oh, well, there must be something wrong with me, which is not true either. We're going to finish up that way. The third option is you can get cynical and hard and blame all the opposite sex and just decide you're not going to have anything to do with them. Or the fourth option is to do, again, as C.S. Lewis says, to reorient the entire focus of your life towards the only one who can really satisfy. To reorient the entire focus of your life towards the only one who can really satisfy. You can realize that only God is pumping out the right kind of gasoline that's going to fire up your engine and not worry about everything else that's going on and everybody else around you. The one person who gets this in the story, this is what's so cool, the person who gets this in the story is the one who got treated the worst, the one who had the worst life, Leah. Listen to this. She conceived again, fourth son, and when she gave birth to the son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Oh, does that give you chills? Okay, I get it. This time, I get it. I'm not trying to minimize Leah's pain. Life has been unfair to her. She isn't the homecoming queen. She's stuck with a dad who dumped her on a guy who didn't want her. It's a bad life, but she finally gets it. This time I will praise the Lord. There's defiance in her claim. There's no mention of a husband. There's no mention of a child. It's just, okay, I get it. He's number one. He can fill up my tank. This time I will understand where love and fulfillment and intimacy really comes from. I'm going to go to God. This time I will praise the Lord. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner, ladies and gentlemen. No matter how number two works out, I have a number one. The text says that when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he loved her. Some of you are single in here today and you're looking for that person. You're looking for a, a partner. And I'm not saying you shouldn't find one. God said it's not good for man to be alone. I love the fact that I have a wonderful marriage and I have a much better marriage after 26 years than I had 26 years ago. And, and if you're in a marriage, I want to encourage you to get counseling, to get some help because you can have a better marriage. But let me say this to you. If you're single, you need to understand that when Jesus said, I am the groom, I am the one who can love you. He is the one. He's the only arms that you need. He's the only one that you really, really need. He is your number one. Find a spouse. Don't find a spouse. Whatever works for you, whatever God blesses you with, you go that way. But if you can take that pressure off, it'll be a lot easier. If you're married, I say the same thing to you. If you could just knock it off and quit thinking that your spouse is always going to be Rachel and never going to be Leah. Your spouse is always going to be the one that you thought you wanted, the one that's always going to meet your needs and fill the hole in your heart, fill up your tank. If you could just knock that off, you'll have a much better marriage. And you'll be a lot happier because you'll be filling up your tank with the only one who can really, really do it. So as we prepare for communion right now, I want to, we're going to listen to the words of a David Crowder song. I want you just to realize...
married, single, whatever, if you've been filling up your life with sex, you've been filling up your life with porn, you've been filling up your life with one relationship to another, you've been worried because you can't fill up your life with the person that you're married to, all of those things, put them out of your mind and realize that the only one you can fill up your tank with is Jesus, and he loves you this much. If you know the words, if you know this song, and you'll catch the, the tune along the way, it's just been doing me a lot of good just to sing it out loud, just sing it out loud when we get to the chorus, how he loves us. And let's just worship for a while as we prepare for communion. If you don't get it by now, I don't know what I can do. Um, interesting that you don't know the end of the story. End of the story, it's just like one of those Paul Harvey things, man. The rest of the story is incredible. Because if you don't know the rest of the history along the way, you know, somebody begat somebody, being somebody begat somebody, and somebody begat somebody, and Jesus showed up. Do you know who begat Jesus from all of those people? All of Isaac's sons, the 12 tribes. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Remember that name? Judah. This time I will praise the Lord. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah and from the tribe of Leah. Not Rachel. Isn't that cool? Jesus came to the earth as the unwanted. He was born to peasant people in a crummy little town, in a crummy stable with nobody around but shepherds and some wise men showing up later. And he lived his life despised and rejected by men, the prophet Isaiah said. So much so that in the end... The people crucified him. He came as the one who was unwanted of the race of people who were unwanted because he wanted to show us how much he loves us and how much he understands where we're coming from when we're unwanted, when we're having our gas tank full of the wrong thing. He understands it, and he loves us. And we're going to have communion right now, and I hope that you can spend a moment realizing that Jesus died on the cross for you because he loves you, but he lived a life as an unwanted person on this earth because he understands you, and he loves us. Let's pray. Lord God, I know that only you can fill up my soul I know that I was made with the desire for you and every time I try to fill it up with something else it doesn't work and I'm sorry for the many many things I've tried to fill my soul up with and I'm sorry for the times that I've tried to make my wife be the person be the one and be the one to fill my soul I'm sorry for the times when I've tried to fill my soul with everything that I've done money sex power whatever it is and I'm so thankful that I could come here right now and know that whether I'm feeling wanted by everybody else or not, I know that I'm wanted by you. And I know that you understand where we come from when we're in that unwanted state. And we know that you love us. And you love us so much. The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You died for us so that we could be free 
so that we could have heaven on this earth and have heaven when we die and our souls could be filled up. And if there are people in this room who need to open up their heart to you right now and get filled up with the gasoline that drives their engine, I pray that they're doing it. I pray that they're opening up right now and during communion they're going to say, Jesus, I give you my life. I, I need you to come in and fill me up. Forgive my sins. Take my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. And for all of us right now, <clears throat> we just ask that you come in and fill us with your spirit. Come in and fill us with the right thing. And help us to not worry so much about all those other things that are going on in our life that we try to fill our life up with. Help us to get our priority list right. And Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.